0: Throughout high school, I was involved in everything and I chose to participate in everything except for athletics because I just knew I wouldn't be good at it. I only did things that I felt like I would enjoy and I would be able to excel at no matter like how hard I had to work at it. So I kind of felt weird throughout, especially my senior year, because there are so many times where I would be in leadership or that sort of thing and I would be working so hard and I felt like I was kind of not necessarily the only one, but I felt like I was the only one who was being critical of the projects. And I felt like I was the only one who was like, hey, this could be better. Hey, like, what if you did this? Because I was the chief editor of our high school newspaper. I became head twirler my junior year of high school. <laughs> and um, God bless my friends. But they like every now and then my senior year would be like, why are you such a know-it-all? Why do you always like, why do you never stop? And I was just like, I don't know. Like, I just genuinely want these things to be good. I want them to be perfect. So like with our newspaper, we had like every month was a new edition. And oh my gosh, the amount of times that I would like take that home and just edit and edit and edit and edit. And even one time in my like dual credit English class in high school, seven of my friends asked me to edit 10 page papers. So that night, none of them know this. And if they're listening, they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. But that night I was up until 5 a.m. editing all these papers because everybody was like, oh, Kaylee's best at editing papers. Like, why don't I ask her? And I was too nice to say no. So that night I edited, like, God knows how many papers. God knows how many words. And sure enough, I kept editing them until I felt like they were perfect. So in the morning, I, like, emailed them off to everyone. They were like, oh, this is so great. Whatever. Whatever um but at the end of high school like moving into college I was like why do I like like I never felt arrogant but everybody kind of perceived me as that and everyone was like why do you think you know better and um, kind of getting to know myself and getting to know like my motives especially through the Enneagram to be honest like it kind of showed me that oh like my motive is just to be good my motive is genuinely just to make it better and a lot of the times I felt like kind of a paradox because people would be like you're so arrogant like why are you acting this way like why do you feel like you're better than everyone i was like i really don't like if only you could hear like my inner monologue like trust me i beat myself up all the time i do not think that i'm great um but that's how i came across and now i understand that it's genuinely just because i want things to be the best that they can be and i genuinely feel like hey i can help you you want to be helped right and oftentimes they're like no i'm completely fine with this. The way it is. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Why don't you want this to be perfect? Um, so that's something that I've really had to come to terms with.
1: Yeah. So I've always had an interesting relationship with my emotions and other people's emotions and, um, where I think they, they fit in relationships. Uh, I first saw it with my relationship with my brother. Uh, he was always bigger than me and stronger than me and could push me around. But, um, I realized that if I stayed calm, Nine times out of 10, he would be the one that would get in trouble. Because to me, I, I saw that there there weren't value I in my emotions and getting all worked up. The The value was in staying calm and just being able to, to talk and actually have a conversation because something would happen and we would run to my parents and he would, well, he did this and he's stupid and he's that. And I'm like, well, uh, this is what happened. These are the facts. I'm going to give them to you. And now he called me names and he's upset. And even if I was in the wrong with what happened back there, um, you know, I was, I was able to communicate in a proper way because I didn't let my emotions get all messy. Um, and then later on in life, um, I've ended up, ended up managing a couple of different coffee shops. So I've ended up with baristas under me and have been very particular about the way that things are done. And have had uh, people come in and they they get all emotional about something. And I'm just like, no, like you, you, I trained you on how to do this. And you're not doing it the way I asked you to do it. Uh, I don't know why you're being emotional. I don't hate you. I'm just giving you the facts. You're doing it wrong. And L- learning how to see that other people have emotions. And even if my mind, they're like not viable being willing to respect that the people are having the emotions and they may be viable in their head, but the fact that I've logicked my way through the situation to say, no, like these emotions don't matter in this situation. Still being able to respect the person that has them.
2: Welcome to Story Shape Life, a podcast where we try to help make sense of the stories we believe about ourselves, others, and the world we live in. We're your hosts, Ben and Sam. And this season, we're focusing on the Enneagram. It's a popular tool for understanding the way we view the world and the strategies we use to interact with it. Join us
3: today as we talk about Enneagram Type 1. All right, so we have reached the last Enneagram Type. Not in order, because it could be said to be the first, but this entire podcast at season has been
2: one giant troll for, for type 1s. <laughs>
0: because we're the type yes. that wants it to be, to be episode 1. Yes,
2: exactly. Sorry.
3: <laughs> In all seriousness, we're super excited to have two guests that are both friends of mine. Um we have Benjamin, uh different Benjamin, Not a new to be Benjamin confused with me. And then we have Kaylee with a capital L. Very yeah. important. Also, the K is also capital. Yeah, if that would be super too. weird. <laughs> Lowercase yeah. k, capital L. So, before we do anything else, I would love y'all to introduce yourselves and give just three facts about each one of you.
0: I'm Kaylee. I am a newlywed. Actually, I just got married on June first to a really awesome guy. He is the best, and he is five. That's His name is Wesley. Ago. I know. Yeah.
2: Dang. You Under three not weeks. Kidding. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like thank you cards are not even sent out yet from the gifts that we had. I also, I work in marketing for, well, not for a nonprofit. So I work in marketing. I work for an agency that exclusively works with nonprofits. So super like making the world a better place. You know, that's something I've always gravitated towards. I also have two dogs. One is a Chihuahua and she's my child. And then we have a ridiculously insane puppy That we literally got like last week and he is a Border Collie lab mix. So he is spastic, but he's great too. So,
1: Uh, My name is Benjamin. Uh, I've worked in the coffee industry for about seven years now uh, and have been lucky enough to create a career path for myself in that industry. I currently work for Avoca Coffee Roasters um, as a service technician. I am the bass player for the vasco band woot woot indeed (laughs) actually uh woot um that's a that's a little little bass joke and then um number three is that i've always said that i love to travel but actually uh just left north america for the first time at 25 years of age
3: so type ones uh we have called the receptive ideal seekers receptive being their social strategy and ideal seeking being core motivation or core awareness we're using kind of both because one awareness leads into motivation
2: i'm sure we haven't explained that enough to people are like wait why is it two things and he keeps saying three yes
3: awareness becomes motivation Hence, those are just one thing there we go and so the first question i would have for y'all is what situations could you share in which you've really noticed the receptive social strategy play out positively in a one-on-one relationship.
1: So I recently moved to a new city, uh, and I told myself every morning that I'm going to go to a different coffee shop in the city until I've worked my way through all of the coffee shops in the city. Because a co of mine actually said, I love that you're a tourist of your industry. Um, and so... Uh, every Saturday, so far i've gone to a different coffee shop and i'll walk in and order an espresso or a cappuccino or something like that and If they have a bar like near the workstation i'll usually sit there and i'll drink my espresso and i'll look as friendly as possible, and then I will leave. But if someone asks me a question, i'll be there for an hour. If someone decides to open the door and say, "Hey." You look familiar, or something like that, and and they want to open the door. Um, I will always like, yeah, let's chat. You open the door, let's go.
0: But they have to open the door, but, right? Yeah,
1: I will. I will never assume that they want to talk to me. I'll, I'll always, I'll like I said, sit at the bar, look like, as friendly as possible, drink my espresso, and then <laughs> walk out the door. You're just creepily staring <laughs> at and people, I'm smiling, while I'm while smiling. You like, if smiling. you talk to me, I would talk to I that will. guy, but I'm kind of <laughs> grouped out. <laughs> so. Um, that's, it's kind of funny, um, thinking about the receptive type. I I noticed that I was like, yeah, I would never, I would never start a conversation. Um, but I have found myself at a coffee shop talking to someone that I had never met before for half an hour to 45 minutes, just because they were willing to open the door.
0: I feel like the receptiveness like shows up the most in my one-on-one conversations just because as much as sometimes I'm perceived as not very emotional and not very in touch, because I know that I can be kind of critical. I know that I can be very like, you know what, like let's get this done. I really am very receptive to my friends and how they feel. And I mean, they may or may not correct me on this and they may very well be applauding and agreeing. That's one thing that I've always been very proud of myself with is the fact that when I'm with one of my friends, I can tell uh, what's going on, especially with my husband, who's a five, who he's more, I don't want to like wear my emotions on my sleeve. And I'm very quick to be like, okay, like, hey, what was really rough about your day? And he's like, whoa, I didn't say anything was wrong. And I'm like, I can see. um, And that's one thing that I'm really intentional about with all of my friends is sometimes it's kind of difficult to notice those things. But like, if you just like start picking up on like those tiny things, you know, like if they open that door just a little bit, like, you know, like she's just not making as much eye contact with me as much. She's opening that door. Hey, what's wrong? Um, and it kind of goes from there. So that's how it shows up a lot in my one-on-ones. Yeah,
1: I think it's funny because it's, it's not always verbally opening the door. Yes. Yeah. We're so receptive to like, I, I do my best to, and it, it, I feel like it happens naturally, just learn people
0: like I'm so everything must be in its place that if one thing isn't I'm like on it I'm mm-hmm. like you know what what is going on your eyebrow twitched yeah. <laughs> like,
1: you didn't you didn't laugh the same way you usually laugh yes. there was something else in that laugh and that opened the door and we're going to we're going to talk about
2: that yeah I like this imagery about opening a door because I think I don't know if we've said this before but in the idea of putting um all the types on a a, a scale Right. I think the ones are the closest to the active uh, social strategy, the other in the res- in the receptive, they're the closest to the active. So it's like you guys are saying it's like, I don't even need them to open the door, I just need them to like crack it. It's touch, like I'm touch, coming in. Yeah, touch the door handle. <laughs> I just need to hear you touch <laughs> yeah. the door yeah. handle. I heard a click, boom, I'm coming yeah. in. We're and like
0: if it's clearly locked, we're not going to be kicking down the door. We're totally. going to give you your right, right, space. Right. Yeah. Um, but like the moment you touch that door handle, oh, bro, like it's knocked down. We have a bottle of wine in hand. We're about to take care of and like I do whatever's think that's going that's wrong.
2: That's what's unique about ones in that social strategy is that twos and sixes are not that yeah, um, they're, they're, they're like sitting on the couch,
1: keeping an eye down the hallway. Right, right, And right, one right. is standing on the other side of the door. <laughs> right, right, right. Listening We're
2: like looking under the door.
1: <laughs> I think of my dog. Smiling like with I, a
2: cappuccino.
0: Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we have coffee ready for yeah. you. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think that's really good I uh, because I do think it, it shares some of the uniqueness of how type ones um, utilize that social strategy and just kind of, mm-hmm. again, still pinging off of something that's there, um, but just a little bit more ready and gung-ho than, than maybe some of the other types. So that's pretty good. Yeah. And coming off of that, uh, our second question for you guys is what is a situation that you've seen where you have um, seen that social strategy work out in a way that wasn't healthy? Or I guess another way of thinking about it is what is a time that you've utilized? Cause we've talked about all three social strategies are perfectly healthy. Right. Um, but in certain situations, And then unhealthy in other situations, what are some times that you've used that receptive social strategy that you naturally are bent towards when it's like, Oh, I should have picked a different one.
0: There's a lot of times with some of my friends and, um, more often than not my husband where I'm like, okay, like, let's talk about this. You know, I notice that this is going on and he or she is just like, Kaylee, like, I really need to breathe for a little bit. And I'm like, no, like you need to handle it. You know, like I noticed this, why are you not handling it right here and now? Because I'm very much solution driven. And I'm like, hey, like, let's talk about it. Let's find a way to fix it. (laughs) And that's something that, like, sometimes can drive them crazy is I'm like, here's a solution. Here it is. I noticed there's a need. And they're like, no, like, dude, just let it go. I'm like, "Ah, but you can fix it.
3: And it's like the ability of realizing that something's wrong doesn't always need to coincide with fixing it. Yes. You know. That's hard. Said like a four who just wants to feel his feelings.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One of my best friends literally, like, she does not tell me about her problems until she's ready for a solution. So it'll be three, four, week or two later, and she's telling me, and I'm like, you are telling me this now because you're ready for a solution. She's like, yes, I've been sitting on this for a minute. And I'm like, I'm sorry that I'm like this, but here's a solution. She's like, thanks. All right, got to go. I'm like, <laughs>
1: Yeah. So for me, um, in in a past relationship, uh, she she had gotten off work and was telling me about how she had a terrible day and and all of these things that had happened. Um, and my initial reaction was, okay, you open that door, let's respond and, and talk about what happened. Um, and since my relationship is with you, let's talk about what you can do to to change that situation because I care about you. I want you to be the best you can be. Um, and, you know, you open the door. So here's my heart. Here's here's everything I think. And I, I want you to be the best person you can be. And then the response is, um, you know, you're being critical of me. That is definitely backfired. Um, you know, I I just wanted to vent. I just wanted to, to let out what was happening and you you turn it into telling me that I did something wrong. Um, And so that's definitely times where, you know, you you go from being the person standing on the other side of the door, ready to help out to just kind of going, okay, yeah, that you didn't open the door, you know, you, you touched the handle and I was, I was ready to help.
3: Um, Yeah. I really want to highlight part of your story where you explained that the way you responded to her situation was based on her because she's the one that you care about. I think that's really interesting and that's a big, maybe misconception that people can have of ones that I've had of ones. It's that basic concept of I can't change anyone else. So to change your situation, the only thing that can change is you. Mm-hmm. I I think there's a lot of beauty in that, but I can also see how that can be misunderstood very easily. Mm-hmm. Because... I mean, in that example, she comes home, it's like rough time at work. In her head, she's thinking it was a rough time at work because this dude did, did this and this situation happened and everything was crumbling around me. And then to hear you respond in, well, you can change this. I, that's where the friction comes in. But I want to highlight something that I think is very valuable. And it's that you are ultimately thinking of the other person and thinking of improving their situation for their benefit. And I think that's something that can be lost in the communication of it.
2: Oh, absolutely. I uh, Samuel and I have a family member who we are pretty sure is the one on the Enneagram, a close family member. And yeah, man, that, those stories like really hit home because I think it's really easy to interpret, at least in their case, to interpret their actions as... Um, just overwhelming and kind of uh, the word that I use sometimes when I'm explaining it to my wife is like engulfing, right? Where it's just like kind of like all consuming and you're like, just like, just back off just like a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, because if, and it feels like it's, it's coming from a place of like wanting to write some wrong, uh, which is, you know, is very impersonal when you're trying to write a wrong uh, right and wrong is impersonal. It's not, it, it has, it has zero takes zero into zero account of like who I am and what I'm going through. But what you're both saying is no, no, no. Trying to write a wrong is trying to write a wrong that you are experience that a person is experiencing and trying to bring right to an experienced wrong or to a difficulty or to Right. And that's a man. That's like a whole nother ballpark. Yeah. Um, so that's super good to hear.
0: I feel like we are so rooted in our deep belief that action is the only way you're going to fix something. I just, I can't sit and let something pass me by because I'm like, you know what? I need to do something in order to fix this. Like if I just sit here, I'm just going to become stagnant and life is going to suck. So like when I feel like someone is just kind of like, you know, like it sucked today, it's going to suck tomorrow. I'm like, why do something? Um, And like, I have a ton of emotion and a lot of the times when I am trying to help someone and I am trying to be like, hey, why don't you do this? Mm-hmm. It is coming from a place of like really caring about them.
2: And I do think it's interesting. I think the the piece about like the action piece of like essentially like you have agency is something that uh, type one share this is a whole nother triad and we haven't gotten into it, but it's something <laughs> they share with type fives and types threes is this like I respond to difficulty by um, via competency by getting better and growing and, and and so I think that's something that ones offer in the sense that like you're responding to the need of another by trying to build competency in them um, but what's again what's so like helpful and fascinating is that it is um, it's proactive It's it's responsive to the needs of others and where it can be misinterpreted is like you're trying to force a reality on somebody but you're trying to do it for the sake of others um, and for their good and for their development. And I think that's the piece, um, the desire and motivation there that get lo- gets lost in translation sometimes.
3: Yeah. I would just, because I think one of the, like one of the big terms that is used and that you have already even shared in your stories is the black and white. And I just, I think it. this is me experiencing this learning experience right now in the moment. But it is not a universal black and white. Mm -hmm. It is a situational black and white for that person. And that distinction is important because that's where it becomes something personal and loving and intentional in a relationship rather than you just imposing your beliefs. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really important for ones to hear and for non-ones to hear as well.
2: Yeah, so I think this is a good lead-in to... Our next question and that is what cultural pressure or cultural expectation have you guys experienced uniquely, I think as Enneagram type 1 men and women? like what's the what is some of the cultural requirements um, that you guys just really are like super aware of um, from your perspective and your worldview as as men and women, Enneagram type ones? Specifically
1: as a man um, and being in leadership positions. I, I, I speak for myself and would assume that other ones find themselves in leadership positions because of the ability just to make decisions fairly quickly. Um, and like being in the coffee industry and being the service side of the coffee industry for the most of it, you know, on bar, busy things, things need, decisions need to be made quickly. Uh, I felt myself naturally move into leadership positions, being able to make that because when I'm comfortable um, you know, once I have received the information I need about a situation, I can make my decisions extremely quickly. Um, I think as a man I'm I'm looked to often when there is not a clear answer. Can you can you know we know you want we know you know what you want to do personally because I've I've I I have done it so much at work in my personal relationships. I like to take a step back and not make all of the decisions. But because other people have seen me exercise that and and showcase that, I feel like that pressure is there to be able to, when things get unclear, when things are foggy but a decision needs to be made, people look to me.
3: Have you, and this is kind of a personal question, but have you experienced... In light of the fact that people turn to you for that decision-making quality, have, has that played out in a negative way? I'm thinking specifically relationships of people not really wanting to work things through with you, feeling that because you are a man and you're seen as this decisive man, that it's like you're not approachable. I have definitely felt like because of my decisive nature, I have emotions.
1: I experience emotions. Part of my decisive nature is being able to almost remove emotions from the equation. And I think that is some, I I believe that's something that is unique. And there are times where, um, specifically in personal relationships, um, because of that decisive nature, my emotions get removed by someone else. Someone else removes my emotions from the equation. And I go, wait, wait, wait a second. Uh, Like, this is a personal relationship. I'm willing to take the time to to work through the emotions and not have to, I think... Don't uh,
2: invalidate my emotions just because I'm not generally as expressive
3: of them. Exactly. Especially because you're a guy. I feel like that just taxes it on them.
1: And because being in a leadership position, I almost feel like decisiveness is being expected of me. I would almost rather have the opportunity to filter things through. But because it's been expected of me, because when it is expected of me, I'm able to push the emotions aside and make a decision. It continues to be expected of me.
2: Yeah, that's really good. You're talking about having emotions. And I think every, I mean, every human being has emotions. That is a part of being human. Some people are less emotive than others, but everybody has the same number, right, of emotions. Um, But I think ones tend to be able to take the emotions that they are as emotions are our emotions are speaking to us, and quickly, more quickly than some others, to to filter them and put them in the in in a box, right? To to put them in a place, um, where the rest of us are kind of like living in this ambiguity of deciding where to where they should go and what we should do with it. Um, but I like what you said of this idea of like, but there are times when we've experienced that, or when you've experienced that, and uh, needed more time to find a place for it, and even needed time to like talk about it and just like leave the box open and work through something. And because you have this tendency, especially as a, as a man, and you're type one, people are just like, well, just, just put it in one of your boxes like you always do yeah. and let's be done with it so that I can talk about my emotions. We can talk about my piece. And that's, that's not fair, right? Like, it's like, no, you have the same emotions as somebody else. If you in a moment need to say like, actually, I'm not ready to put this in a spot. Then the rest of us should be like, cool. Yeah. That's, that's what I want for me right and and i think that's that's a, a really really um just helpful perspective
1: yeah and i i think it's hard for some people because most people don't see that side yeah. um it's a sign of intimacy it's a sign of trust when uh i'm willing to say hey let's take some time to work through this
0: i guess on the flip side of the coin as far as being a woman goes a lot of people really expect women to be, especially in the South, which I I know that this is something that y'all have kind of talked about is being in Texas. Um, But the Southern bells down here, you know, um, kind of expect us to be more emotional. And I don't want to say motherly, but in a sense, yes. For me, I do have some like, you know, you can say like motherly tendencies. Like I do want to care for people. I do want to help make their lives better. But I really feel that on the emotional thing is I fall into leadership a lot as a result of my ability to be decisive. Um, It's a result of my ability to take charge and to see what can be made better. But being the type of person that falls into leadership a lot as a girl is very different than a guy because men are looked to. Um, as you mentioned, like you are looked to immediately when there's a decision that needs to be made. And it's funny because in high school, I competed with a guy for valedictorian. I ended up being salutatorian. He is one of the best people on the face of the planet. Super great guy, really good friends with him to this day. But we competed a lot. And a lot of the times people would look to him for the right answer. Or, um, if I said the right answer, they'd be like, oh, but like, what did he get? And I was just like, OK, like I can be right too, you know, I, as a woman, I'm not less because I'm a woman, you know, I don't have to be put in this box. And I feel like a lot for me, I'm trying to break out of the box. I'm trying to break beyond like being emotional because I am emotional. I do feel a lot, though I don't necessarily demonstrate it like it's not on my sleeve all the time. Um, a lot of people actually perceive me as very emotionless, which I find hilarious because when they tell me that I'm like. I feel everything. You have no idea. Like, I wish that you could see what was behind this. Um, But being in leadership, you know, I was the vice president of my sorority, for instance, last year. And of course, it's a bunch of women. Um, But their expectation is for me to be a little bit more sensitive. It's for me to be a little bit more okay, like, how can I care for you? And for me, I'm like, I want to get this done, you know? And so that's something that I struggle with a lot as a woman because going along with my really intense black and white views, I feel that men and women should be viewed as equal. And that's something I've always held to very strongly is I'm like, I'm a woman. I can lead just like any man can, you know? And that's always been my big thing. Um, so anytime I've been in kind of a management or leadership position, I've really struggled with that. Sometimes people want a man's opinion. I'm not a man, but once they get that man's opinion, they'll come back and be like, okay, Kaylee, you have the exact same opinion, so I guess you can lead. I'm like, okay, let's go.
3: In the Type 8 episode, they talked a little about the extra step that it sometimes takes for a woman specifically to be validated in her leadership and that it's so interesting, not interesting, unfortunate, that... You not only have to have the right opinion in the yes. end, but you also have to validate it before, during, and after. Yes. Because so
0: if I put forth a plan and it falls through, they're like, okay, never listening. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, great. They're never listening to Kaylee again. And I'm like, I don't know how to bounce back from this.
2: Yeah, I have just as much right to get it wrong sometimes as anybody else. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. I think it's super funny, not funny, that seeing our two experiences as a man naturally being pulled to leadership positions that I have not been asked to be put in. I'm like, validate my emotions. And as a woman who's having to bust her butt to get to these leadership positions going, my emotions aren't going to get in the way. Yes. Yeah. Seeing, seeing the, yeah, the, that's, the, that's really the juxtaposition um, is is insane.
2: And I think that's the, again, the back to the unique thing, uh, about ones is that you're still in the receptive group. So what I think is unique is that sevens, threes, and eights will sidestep some of those um, cultural blocks, impedances, whatever word we want to use a little bit more, right? Cause they're like, well, I'll just create it for myself versus, and not always, but, but I think that's kind of a, a natural tendency versus ones that are still looking to be receptive to opportunities. So you won't like necessarily knock the door down correct? right so i think probably female ones probably if i had to guess from off of what you're saying there's probably this sense of like i have i could do this and i see how i can do it but i'm not going to just like bulldoze because i'm still waiting to ping off of whatever's in front of me and that can be super frustrating and super hard
0: but the moment that that door is open it's like all right
2: I am going
0: to shine, and like I will show you. And the beauty of it is that once I really do get to show people, oftentimes it is like, oh, wow, my bad. Yeah, dude, go for it. I'm like, great.
3: Now, I think we've talked a lot about some of the positives, some of the negative maybe tendencies, but I would really like to take a second to highlight some of the positive characteristics you have. And we've used the language of superpowers – To kind of describe something that your type specifically brings to the table. And so the way we've had this conversation is there is universal problems that we all address to some extent, but maybe some types address it more than others. And so what is a universal problem that you feel like the Enneagram type one targets specifically and what tool do you bring to combat it? Uh,
1: something that we actually addressed earlier was um, ones kind of see the world as black and white, um, m- see the world with less gray than other types. And it's the assumption that it's this universal black and white, but we kind of addressed earlier that it's a situational uh, black and white. And so one thing that I think that I bring to the table is being able to Take this messy situation, take, you know, lots of people are offended, lots of people are hurt, you know, they did this and they did that and they hurt me and both sides are wrong. You know, both sides um, have, have hurt someone and I've, I've seen myself and I think ones in general can take the mess out of that and say, yeah, like you're, you're all wrong. You're both wrong, you know, you you, you kind of overstepped here and you kind of overstepped here and and be able to add a lot of clarity to a really messy situation um, because, you know, the, the black and white that we see the world in is situational.
0: We're really great mediators. Um, I have been a mediator in many situations and people ask me to do it because I, exactly like you said, we bring clarity.
1: Um,
0: I feel like we have almost really good, like emotional eyesight,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, like we can just kind of identify it. Um, I feel like one thing, especially for me personally, that like, I really, I guess target is injustice. And it's so funny. Cause I was talking to my husband about it last night and I was like, you know, like I'm trying to think of something that I really like wrestle with because I feel like maybe it's both of us maybe it's more so just me but like when I'm like man like what world issues do I like battle with and I'm like everything like everything that's wrong I'm like I'm frustrated with it um there's not really one particular injustice you know there might be something that kind of pulls on my heartstrings more than others but like overall it really is just injustice it's like this is so frustrating um seeing anyone that isn't treated fairly I'm like why like because for me, I'm like, why don't you just see how to treat them fairly? Why don't you just see what's right or wrong? Why don't you just do what's right? You know, it's right there. Just do it. So all that to be said, I feel like one thing that I personally can bring is the ability to take action and the ability to slow down and try to like think it through and bring clarity.
1: One thing that I think is not always great towards ourselves, but then positions us better for outward relationships is um is I feel like I have to justify my emotions to myself um if I feel something and then if I if I feel offended by someone um and then I filter it through my logical brain and I say well they didn't mean that I don't let myself feel that emotion or I struggle to let myself feel that emotion and so uh, in order for me to to really honestly let myself feel something, I almost have to justify it. And so when there's conflict in the world and there are two sides really butting against each other, I think emotions, you know, the, the, I've, I've grown up um, to understand that emotions are very important in this world. But to be able to bring
2: clarity to emotions themselves. Yeah, the word that resonated with me, Kayla, you said it, but I think it applies to what both of you said, is the word mediation. Mm-hmm. Now, mediation, we tend to use as a word that, you know, it, it means to to bring a resolution between two opposing parties, right? To just sit in the middle between two things and help bring um, resolution to a disagreement, right? But there's a related word that I think could work here, and that is arbitration, mm. Um, arbitration is to make it is to make a third party decision on what should happen with two opposing realities. Uh, and so the, the phrase or the, the, what I'd like to offer to you and, and see what you guys think is, um, that type ones bring arbitration to chaos Mm -hmm. and this idea of that, the, all the gray filters in and you guys, um, are very good at taking that and, and saying yes, no, right, left, this box, that box, go right, go left, right. And, and, and really, again, ones get a bad rap, whatever the superpower is, uh, ones get a bad rap for this, but it is when you are in a relationship with a type one, a healthy type one, it is one of the most freeing things. And I say, this as a type five who loves his shades of gray. Like really like I am not a black and white that is very difficult for me when as soon as somebody is like, well, I think this is black and white and I, I come up with 7,000 different ways how it is not, but I've noticed with the type healthy type ones in my life that I can do that because I, they basically serve as like a tether or like an anchor to me and my life because of this superpower, this ability to take chaos and give it. Uh, not just form, but like a label and when you give something a label it's no longer chaotic right mm-hmm. so that's that's to me where this phrase of like arbitrating chaos uh which is it our 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 phrases just get more and more epic every time we <laughs> <laughs> with, um i think so is is very uh to me very true of type ones I
1: feel it I like the idea of arbitration uh versus mediation mm-hmm. um because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To me, mediation always seems like you have to pick one. Or right. or kind of like, in this situation, you're right. And in this situation, you're right. And um, it seems like arbitration can be
3: like, not quite. Yeah, it's a lot more about putting things in boxes rather than bringing them together. Correct. Because mediation to me also reminds me of the type sixes' ability to bring people together. Yeah, or
2: they- nines to see things from multiple Size. yeah, sides, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it,
3: your specific special quality is the ability to put things into categories and label them right I think instead right. of like you
2: get half and you get half it's like no you're this you're that let's move on our yeah.
3: ability to compartmentalize <laughs> yeah
0: even our own lives
2: <laughs> yeah i feel good about that um i think there are some types that we've had kind of a little more clarity on on their superpower uh, but i think ones that have theirs is very unique um but also uh, it sticks out, um, at least in our culture and in our time. Uh, kind of to wrap this up, our uh, final two questions for you guys are, what advice do you have for other Enneagram type ones? And what advice do you have for people in relationship with Enneagram type ones?
0: So for me, um, battling with being a perfectionist was kind of hard because, you know, everyone in that interview question, they're like, so what's your biggest flaw? And you're like, I'm a perfectionist because, you know, that's like kind of bad, but that's also kind of good at the same time. Um, And I kind of... Classic
3: job interview answer. I'm a perfectionist. I just work too well. I care too much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's just like being... But we
2: mean it.
1: (laughs) So
0: it's it's kind of a battle um, because everyone is like, oh, yeah, you're a perfectionist. Like, that's not a personality. And it's like, yeah, well. So one thing I've kind of gotten for me like and one thing that i kind of advise is to other ones is to like get to know yourself more and understand that you have much more depth than trying to perfect everything um because sometimes i know especially in high school when i felt like i was kind of reduced to okay like you're trying to be the best you can be at everything you don't really have much else um i kind of had to learn that i am also a reformer and i really do just care about the good in the world and for other ones like be nice to yourself dear god It's so hard. Um, I am so mean to myself. Like, I am so terrible. Um, Whenever, like, genuinely, when people come to me and they're like, hey, what you said really hurt me. Like, I promise you, on the inside, I've rehearsed that moment 10,000 times. And I'm like, I know, I was so mean. And they're like, dude, no, you, like, kind of offended me, but I just want to mention it. And I'm like, I know I was literally terrible. And it goes into this whole spiral. But all that to be said, be nice to yourself. Take care of yourself. And it's okay to be wrong. And not everyone is always nice and perfect all the time. And that's just not reasonable to hold yourself to that standard for eternity.
3: Could you elaborate? I'm sorry, this is about to be a little bit of a hard question. That's fine. Could you elaborate on what it looks like to be nice to yourself? Because I, I feel like that's so general.
0: Yeah. Um. So especially the last year or so, I've had to learn how to co- cohabitate with that so-called inner critic. And I've had to learn how to be like, you know, because I failed this exam, because I messed up this one social interaction. Yeah, that, that is a mistake. And it's okay that I made that because everyone makes mistakes. And it's hard to get rid of that thing where it's like, no, you can never make a mistake. That's insane. And just like, it's important to like, almost like don't be afraid to spend time with people that care about you and talk things out because we both were joking about earlier how we both kind of talk our way through ideas and we have to talk to ourselves out loud um and like one thing that I have to do really often is me and my husband will be driving for several hours and I'll just talk about things and I will just talk and talk and talk and talk until I'm like you know, that's really not that bad. I didn't really mess up that hard. So it's just a matter of taking the time, I feel like, for me to understand myself and to remind myself of my motives. And at the end of the day, one thing that I keep in mind when dealing with other people too as a result of learning about the Enneagram is if you understand their motives, most of the time, almost all the time, they are really good. You just have to keep that in mind um, and just stop kicking yourself.
3: Yeah, I think there's a really interesting distinction that as you learn about that inner critic, as you learn about the way you talk to yourself and, and I think this is an ability a one has to do with other people, but not always with themselves. But it's the differentiation of the mistake with a person who makes mistakes. Yes. And so it is very different to say, Hi, I am a person who said a lie and say hi i am a liar. Yes. And and i think that's what is can can really catch not just the type 1 but specifically right now we're talking about type 1s in that that deception that you doing something bad makes you a bad person.
0: Because my biggest fear is that i'm a bad person. Yeah. It is that i'm corrupt. And that's more so true for the type 1 than any other type. Yeah. Um because everyone is kind of afraid of that i feel like at least yeah. i think because you would be afraid of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but that is something that I have to understand is okay, I accidentally yelled at them, but I'm not an angry person.
1: Yeah.
3: That's not your um, identity.
1: Yeah, that's definitely time, so
3: something is yeah,
1: yeah, struggle struggling <laughs> with um finding your identity in your mistakes. Because I never do something good and nice and go, I'm a great person. Yeah. I only identify with the inner critic. Um, But something that I would like to say to fellow type ones um, is as I have grown uh, emotionally, I have given much, much more room for the gray in the world. Um, And the gray in myself, specifically. Not every single thing has to be assigned a positive or negative connotation. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's something that uh, I have struggled with in the past, and something that uh, has been freeing to me. There's so much just stuff in the world, and, and things that I do that are neither good nor bad. It just it happens.
2: And I would like to add that there are times because you, everyone is human, that uh, just because something bad happens does not mean that you did a bad thing it is a legitimate possibility that you were wronged. Does it make sense? Like wrong does not, I think type ones can assume that they like, they were in the wrong, that wrong happened because they did so that you did something wrong and, and, and never, never think, Oh, maybe I was wronged. Maybe I'm the one that received the wrong. Does that make sense? Like sometimes you are the, uh, the receiver of someone else's wrongdoing. And you could do nothing. You did, there's no just different decision you could have made that would have that would have corrected that. And so and it doesn't make you a victim. That doesn't. It just, but that's just a reality of like sometimes other people do bad things against you, and you did the best you could with what you had. You know.
1: Yeah, I've definitely had those realizations. Um, I think ones can occasionally be labeled as control freaks, uh, and when you feel like. Once you're put in charge of the situation, you have to be 100% in in control of the situation. If something does not go as planned, it's your fault.
0: As far as um, the people that love me and everyone that loves a one, I feel like one important thing to keep in mind is that we have a really hard time understanding grace and accepting grace for ourselves is so difficult. I know for me, even with my Christian faith, it's so difficult understanding what grace is. Learn Like, I have to learn that every day. Um, I will spend my entire life probably attempting to earn the love and earn <laughs> the grace from God. And I will probably spend forever trying to earn my friendships and trying to earn the love from my friends. And sometimes my friends look at me and they're like, Kaylee, like, I just love you. and if you mess up, I'm still going to love you. And sometimes like, don't necessarily make this an everyday thing because then it feels fake, but try to remind your ones that like, no matter what they do, you're still going to love them. Because for us, sometimes it's so difficult because if I make the tiniest mistake or like, if my friend looks at me the wrong way or one small thing, I'm like, wow, they've realized I'm a bad person. And there's no more grace left for me. So that's one thing that I really want to emphasize. And then one other kind of like small thing is we are so used to taking control and we are so used to leading things. And this one is a little bit more lighthearted, but like don't be afraid to plan things for one. We are so tired. At least I um, and some of my other one friends get so tired of planning things. Can confirm okay okay yes i i wondered um don't be afraid to step in and ask one like hey would you like is it okay if i plan this because trust me uh, deep down inside everyone you know is hoping is just waiting for someone else to take the reins because they're so tired (laughs) like
1: we are on on my road trip around europe uh my mother joined me for part of the trip And uh, I had planned the whole trip, had the itinerary, had everything ready to go. But I was also like, it's vacation. Let's leave some space in the itinerary. It'll be cool. We have five minutes on one Thursday.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was like, I
1: like we have dinner at this time. I haven't picked where we're going to have dinner. Let's just figure (laughs) it out when we get there, you know. Um, And so one afternoon, most of the way into the trip, it was that conversation of what are we going to do for dinner? And my mom looked at me. And she's like, it's your trip. It's your birthday. You pick where you want to go for it." And I broke down. I, I asked her to pick and she was like, no, let's do what you want to do. And I ended up just losing it because I was like, please, please take control. I can't make another decision. I can't make another decision right now. <laughs> oh, I'm so, uh, so glad that I'm not alone yeah, in I this. I definitely feel that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes we really do just want to live in the moment. And we really, God, like. Just want to go along with someone else's plan, and just party along.
1: <laughs> but um, one thing that I have to say uh, to people in in relationships with ones, um, we can be stoic, but because we are um, a receptive type and we're waiting for someone to to crack the door for us to come in, we do the same thing in our relationships. Um, if if you pay attention when a one needs to express themselves emotionally, they're not always going to just explode and pour their emotions all over you because they'll crack the door. And they say, well, I, if I were on the other side, I would see that and I would seize that opportunity. So I'm going to crack the door and hope that this person sees this opportunity to come in and ask me what's going on. And so put i I one thing that I want to say is is put in the ef- the effort to learn this person yeah. um, because if you if you're in a relationship with them and you care with them, put in the effort to learn them um, because if they're at a point where they are ready to share emotionally, it's because things have stacked up, and they don't want to put in the effort to force you to ask them about it. It means so much more when you approach them and say, Hey, I, I, I noticed that I saw what you did. Can, can we, can we talk about this? Can we go into this a little bit more?
0: As children were the type that slammed the door, hoping, hoping that someone heard that slam
1: Yes, and they're
0: like, you know, they slammed the door. Maybe they're upset. Like we're hoping yes. you hear it. Yes. And when you don't, it's like, I am as isolated as I think mm-hmm. I am. And yeah. it kind of confirms that isolation. So, you know, Listen for the door slams. Watch for the cracked doors. Yeah,
3: <laughs> That's great. That's great. And I love that imagery. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thank you for being transparent. Thank you for sharing. This is it. It's all over. Close um, the door. Close the door. <laughs> With the type for one. shutting the door. We have now gone through the nine Enneagram types in a lot of great conversations. Yep. As we've mentioned in, I think, the past two episodes, we have one more episode left for the season that is just focused on answering your questions. And that is questions referencing the way we view the Enneagram. That's questions referencing the Enneagram as a concept. That is questions referencing the stories and lives of the different people that we have Mm -hmm. interviewed uh, questions about the specific types or things we've talked about, questions about culture, whatever you have, uh, we would love to hear those and tackle those in uh, a specific episode dedicated just to that. Yeah, so that's on the way. Uh, the easiest way to
2: get us those questions is uh, through Instagram. You can find me at Ben Benlarzi, B-E-N-L-A-R-Z-I.
3: And me at Sam, E N N. E a s a m. I've never spelt it. Before, you never so have. I was actually maybe really someone was like, starting. I was <laughs>
2: struggling. But I live in the UK and vowels sound different, and I don't know how to spell it. So someone
0: in the UK is like, thank God. <laughs> yes, exactly.
2: Uh, yeah. So send in your questions. Um, we've got a few already. We're really excited about doing this, um, and I think it will help launch us into next season, which uh, is still up for debate. Um, and that is the other piece that we're looking to you guys, and and um, hoping that you'll weigh in. Uh, what are some things when it comes to becoming uh, a more full and whole human being, and both understanding and living into a full and healthy human narrative? That uh, you know that you guys ask about. We've we've talked a lot about emotions. We've talked a lot about um, cultural expectations and cultural narratives. Um, I think there's yeah we we've got a lot of kind of room to run but we want to hear from you guys and and really delve into the things that are most helpful for you so those are your two pieces of homework and with that we will connect with you guys next week when we do that our wrap-up episode of season one